Today I'd like to uh, refer to the sutta called the Honey Ball. And I think that um, it will help everyone who doesn't yet have a, a grasp on emptiness and on what causes mental proliferation will better understand after this reading. There was a Brahmin who happened to belong to, who also happened to be one of the Buddha's caste. Who knew? Who saw the Buddha meditating in a in a garden and walked over to him and he courteously greeted him. And, and after all of the those things were done, he asked the Buddha a question. He says, "What does the recluse assert, and what does he proclaim?" And the Buddha answered, Friend, I assert and proclaim my teaching in such a way that one does not quarrel with anyone in the world with his gods, his maras, and his brahmas. In this generation with its recluses and brahmins, its princesses, and its people, in such a way that perceptions no more underlie that brahmin who abides detached from sensual pleasures, without perplexity, shorn, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. Okay. So now that's the, that's the key. That's what it is that we're looking for, what we can find in these teachings. When one of the Buddha's disciples heard this, he asked the Buddha, he says, how does the Blessed One assert and proclaim his teaching in such a way that he does not quarrel with anyone in the world with his gods, his maras, and his brahmas in this generation with his recluses and brahmins, its princesses and its people? And Venerable Sir, how is it that perceptions no more underlie the blessed one, that Brahman who abides detached from sensual pleasures without perplexity, shorn, shorn of worry, free from craving for any kind of being. He says, disciple as to the source through which perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation beset a man. If nothing is found there to delight in, welcome and hold to. This is the end of the underlying tendency to lust, of the underlying tendency to aversion, of the underlying tendency to views, of the underlying tendency to doubt, of the underlying tendency to conceit, of the underlying tendency to desire for being, of the underlying tendency to, to ignorance. This is the end of resorting to rods and weapons of quarrels, brawls, disputes, recrimination, malicious words, and false speech. 
Here these evil unwholesome states cease without remainder. All right. So the question or the answer embedded in this verse is first of all telling us what is the source? What is the source through which perceptions and notions born of mental proliferation disrupt our efforts to live harmoniously and and thwart our right effort. What is it that is the source that causes our minds to go through all of these things that was listed here? Tendency to lust, tendency to aversion, underlying tendency to views, underlying tendency to doubt, underlying tendency to conceit, of the underlying tendency to desire for being, of the underlying tendency to ignorance. This is the end of resorting to rods and and weapons, of quarrels and brawls, disputes, recrimination, malicious words, and false speech. Here these evil, unwholesome states cease without remainder. How do we do that? Nobody has any idea. Okay. It can start with a practice. It can start with a practice, a meditation practice of retraining the mind. Okay. I will give you a hint. Because you're very close. It does start with meditation practice. But as we all know, there are many kinds of meditation training devices to be used. So which one do you think addresses the dismantling of all mental proliferation and craving and and holding on to and grabbing and clutching? Through the breath. Who's a mindfulness practitioner? Okay, what is... What are some of the qualities of mindfulness? Well, I guess I can answer the last part too, but I'll ask answer with this question. There are four foundations, and I guess the qualities are... Noticing, and then um, there are some that, um, are you looking for the, the process? What are, what are two of the main qualities of, how do, how do you know when you're mindful? What, what two things, what two of the main things that happen that let you know that you're mindful? You're still. You're still. Okay, but but you and you know you're breathing. Okay, all right. Okay, that's one that I'm looking for. That you're in the present moment, or you know you're in the in the present moment. 
self-awareness. Accepting the moment. Accepting the moment, okay. Is, Is mindfulness a state that is that occurs after cognition or before cognition? Before? Okay. It happens before cognition. It is it is the space of relationship with with mundane reality before we name it or call it anything. So the reason that when we do not cognize or objectify reality we have nothing to grab onto. There's, there's nothing there. We haven't made anything. We haven't created anything with our mind. So there's nothing there to be attached to, to fight over, to argue about, to dispute. All of those things that were in, the, in this particular Sutta, Sutta 18. And that's the secret. That's the key. If you have no objects to quarrel over, there is no quarrel. If I don't make anything, if I don't objectify anything in reality, then I have nothing to attach to. Okay. So far, so good? All right. So now, breath. All right. If I say to you to meditate on your breath, I've already objectified something. Okay. So, what's the way out of this dilemma? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, it's being aware of the breath and just letting it letting it breathe, letting the breath breathe the way that it wants to breathe, and then coming back to the breath when we notice that we've moved away. It's not necessarily focusing on it because that becomes an action. Okay. I think that as good as that answer is, that I would dismantle it I I wouldn't make it even simpler than that. What are we really doing when we are, when we say that we are watching the breath or meditating on breath? What are we really doing? Feeling it. Okay. So before there's breath, I'm aware that there's a feeling that I conceptualize as breath. But it's really just a feeling, and it's really neither a good feeling nor a bad feeling. It's just a feeling on the nostril, on the, on the lip. 
So, I can't legitimately ask you to watch your breath and say I'm asking you to be mindful. I can say, watch the feeling that the body produces when it breathes. Do you see the subtle difference? Do you think it's important? It is important. Because that's the only way that we can begin to achieve a freedom from all of the things that we hold on to in the world. Most of our relationship, most of our relationship with the world is through conceptualization. We, we call these things things. We objectify these things. We very rarely see and appreciate the emptiness in conditional reality. We don't even identify it. We, we say that we are speaking con- con- conventionally. We are using conventional truth to call it, you know, form or body or chair or me or umbrella or porch or house. And we say that's necessary. <coughs> we say that that's necessary in order to convey and point another in the right direction so that they'll know that I'm talking about you instead of talking about her. That I need to conceptualize and use conventional wisdom. Yes? So is you were right. <coughs> <laughs> Thank you. So is um Focusing on the breath when meditating, just a finger pointing to the way, and then you breathe, and then you let go of your breathing? No, what I'm saying, what I'm suggesting through reading this particular sutta on the honey ball, is that I think that we should begin to put more effort into describing the emptiness of things. Their, their ultimate truth as opposed to conventionally describing them because then we get into a habit where we see everything conventionally and we identify everything conventionally and we get back into grabbing and, and clutching and holding on to those things because we forget that we're speaking a language of convenience. And I think that most of us would be even more successful if instead of speaking the language of convenience, we spoke the language of ultimate truth and thereby reminding ourselves, as, as, as difficult as it might be, to let Evelyn know that I'm really talking about the umbrella instead of the porch. Uh, it, in the long run, it would be worth that effort of establishing seeing the truth of something, that it is an empty thing, not an object, not permanent, not, not solid, not 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not inherently existing. And when I put myself through that, when I when I force myself to identify objects that way in ultimate language, in ultimate truth, even though it might be difficult in the beginning, I think we'll establish a better habit of how to walk through and work with this this emptiness that we call objective reality. So. Yeah. So. So we would have to have some sort of feeling, though, because, like, you know, if it if it rains, we have water coming down. You know, we're feeling. If it's cold, if we're afraid, there's a, there's a feeling that goes along with that, right? Okay. So, and, and the other thing I wanted to say, if we don't, if we don't, if we don't speak, and we don't, you know then how would we relate to each other? Better. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I mean... No, but I mean, you you have that... You you, you were given that ability to be able to talk, right? I mean, it's... I don't think anybody ever went around totally silent unless they had to go around silent. No, well, we're not... I'm not suggesting that... No, no, I'm just asking. Yeah, that way. But getting back to the breath as, as far as labeling it as an object and then seeing it in its true form as just feeling, it's not breath. Breath is what we call it, what we identify, what we conceptualize it to be. I am feeling my breath. But you're just feeling feeling. Okay. So, everyone put your attention on the feeling that breath makes as it goes in and out of your nostrils. You're doing the same thing that you did when people would suggest that you be mindful of your breath. You're not mindful of breath. You're mindful of the feeling that the breathing causes as it goes in and out of your body. But because we make such an effort to identify things, we continue after we get up off our cushion to identify things, to objectify things. We don't, we don't take the time to say, now how can I describe this to you in a more ultimate language of truth and emptiness? And it might be that all I can do is point to it and don't call it anything. Because when I call it something, that's what I make it. And the problem that we've all, we, we're all trying to break, if you will, we're all trying to rise above, if you will, is that habit of 
identifying and making things be in reality, objectifying reality by identifying it. You know, as soon as we dropped out of the womb, we got a name. We were called something. We got numbers. Was it harder to not give us that identity? I think so, because then we would have to, we would have had to have been taught right from the very beginning that who we are are not who we think we are. That we're not form and we're not feeling and we're, and we're not, you know, um, sense gates and we're not perception and we're not thinking. We are something other than those things. But as long as we grasp on to the identification of things, then we will believe that there's some inherent realness in those things. So, yes. Get what you're saying. I hope so. <laughs> I'm trying really hard. <laughs> However, mm. I think that mm. language is really important because without language, you would just be, you couldn't really communicate. You know, you would be very frustrated with the fact that, unless like no one, no one ever spoke. But I mean, even with animals, you know, they're they're barking at each other or, you know, whatever it might be. So there is, I think that, I just think that language is part of who we are. That's what I think. Okay. Yes. Okay. A great experience is to go a morning in noble silence around a lot of people. It's, um, you're not confused and distracted. You're still. And I think that if more of us did that more often, we would discover a lot more things besides what's being said because people say things they really don't mean. But when someone smiles at you, they smile at you. And you feel that. But when someone's talking and they use harsh words, it's very confusing and you don't really know where they're coming from. So sometimes I feel language sometimes is, takes you away from the stillness of all of us in the middle. If that makes any sense. <laughs> it, it was well said. Um, I don't know how true, I mean, granted, I, I think that that's true, but I see with, um, I have a three-year-old, not quite three-year-old grandson, and he can speak. He wants to speak, but he can't. And I think that um, that's very frustrating, but I just think that that's something that's natural, once again, that you want to communicate. And I think that's just a given 
in this life just from seeing that. Maybe before I would have thought that way, but now when I see the, the frustration of not being able to communicate, I think that that's harsh too. Okay. <clears throat> um, I, this collection of aggregates that's under the illusion that it's called Fred, um, I've been giving a good bit of time to, to lately to thinking about labels. And I, I believe the difficulty is when we... <laughs> well, what you just said, start confusing them with what is real. What, mm-hmm. what is real or what isn't. Mm-hmm. And they're immeasurably convenient for getting around in the world, but they're also the source of... Um, a great deal of misunderstanding and grief and so on and so forth. And um, I believe it was, uh, yeah, I think it's Chuladasa, uh, Upasaka Chuladasa uh, postulates that we have uh, kind of two inclinations, uh, if you will, in the brain, that we have a, an inclination toward, toward wholeness and an inclination toward specificity. Mm. And uh, our difficulty... <clears throat> in this culture and a lot of cultures is that we're overly specific, mm-hmm. basically. So, you know, perhaps I'm, I'm wondering if a good compromise is just to practice, use this as a practice, practice silence, practice seeing the illusion, if you will, or seeing through the illusion. But that doesn't mean we have to, you know, we have to do it when we're ordering a cup of coffee out, out in public, something like that. So it's possible that the reason we think we have to communicate is because we we have we communicate. And that you know, even babies who are two days old and three days old communicate. You know, they just make noise when they want something and we figure out what they want and give it to them and they shut up. So, see how much you can experience and hear when there's nobody giving you their opinion of what there is that you're looking at. I mean, who decided to call a shoe a shoe? What's, 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 in the, what's so in, creative and intelligent about that? Um, I don't want to, I don't want you to feel that I am suggesting that we take your voices away. I'm just suggesting that 
before you go to default that you say, how can I speak on this from a perspective of ultimate truth as opposed to a perspective of conventional truth? Can I do that? Let me think about how I can convey what I'd like to say using ultimate truth. I think that number one, that would require a great degree, an immense degree of mindfulness. Because I can't just blurt stuff out that I've been blurting out for the last 70 years. I've got to. Think about what I'm really seeing. And when you look out and you see what we call a tree, what's that? What else can I call it beside tree? How do I communicate that to the next person? All right. Think about it. And when we get together again, let me know how you've you've, uh, resolved it. But no giving up. You know, no... (laughs) No, just going, oh, crap, I'm just going to talk like I always did. Um, I think I talk too much, Mm. and I have thought about what you're talking about, and I found that often, if I'm mindful and I stop and I don't say anything, I find there isn't anything that I need to say. Mm. And that's fine, for me, except that in our Western culture, people are totally flummoxed when you don't have anything to say. They think you're mad or, uh, you know, they're, they're confused. But, and I don't, I don't want to. Hmm. There's nothing to say here. I don't want to say anything. Well, remember that in most households, silence meant that somebody was irritated, somebody was angry, you know, that someone had done something wrong and someone was mad at them. That's why they weren't speaking to them. That's why there was no conversation. So that's a way that we perpetuate and perhaps we could qualify our presence by just saying, I have nothing to say. I love you, and I have nothing further to say. Do you think that that would be enough? If somebody says, I love you, and I have nothing else to say? Now, that's not enough. What, what greater gift can, can we give each other than love? What, what, you need more than that? Okay. <laughs> can I... One of the things on this here, when someone, you know, says, no, that's not enough, you know, for me, what came is, but I'm willing to listen. Because if you, you know, if you're present with that person, 
you may sense that they have an urge to talk and you're giving a loving space. You've said you'd love, but I'm available to listen, if you truly are. Mm. And, and that, for me, I've observed in myself the last few years how I do talk too much, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it's, you know, it's my need to, you know. And so, um, so I'm stealing from them mm-hmm. the opportunity and the space that if they want to speak. So that just... Okay. Thank you. Um, I'm in Al-Anon, and one of the acronyms that we use is called WAIT, Why Am I Talking? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that really helps me um, with dealing with the alcoholic. But also just in life in general, Just I think that's a good acronym to, to walk around with before you speak. So thanks. Thank you. All right. That's great. Thank you all for your input. Okay. Wow. Uh, I feel like some of us are going through the same thing. Um, The dilemma of what to say to if it's our circles of people whatever category they want to put us under family friends circle community workplace um trying to figure out when people put so many conditions whether verbally or in a letter about how you weren't here didn't do this, didn't do that, or or whatever the just you know whatever. If anybody's ever received a letter about how many things they've never done right, but it's really about themselves. What maybe they've you know they're projecting or whatever. And I'm I'm being a little vague, but um, trying to respond to someone and their truths or their perceptions, being possibly someone that is not on a path of any kind, is unskillful, and some of us are just babies in the mindfulness um, path. And knowing it's better to say nothing than to basically regurgitate a lot of bad, bad ill will. It's better to just digress. Um, But... um, So I think what I'm, I'm, it's actually a question in a way. Um, so one of the things I'm um, having to discover about myself right now is, am I a mountain? Am I not? Am I, am I um, living by my commitments, one through ten, or... 15 or however many I want to add to my list. Um, am I living by those? And, you know, that's my question to myself. But if I am, and this is the way my path is, and if it's been this way for a certain length of time, folks don't even know that, 
And so they don't even know how they're being, um, we were not communicating on the same level. Unskillfulness, um, toddler skillfulness, mindfulness, whatever levels people are at. Um, And I think communication is almost an oxymoron because everyone communicates different ways. And um, the simplest communication is just to be friendly (laughs) and loving and kind. And that seems to be forgotten. And that doesn't take a lot of words. But where I'm, I think um, one of the things I'm having to discover right now is, you know, as I become a strong mountain in the sense of my commitments to myself for no other reason but for myself, I have to actually share that with the challenges that I have because they have no idea where I'm coming from. They have, you know, they may have one book on their shelf. They may have no books on their shelf as far as philosophy or spiritualism or anything. They may have no level of skill. So they don't know where I'm coming from. They're completely confused. And if a person is quiet, they think you're angry because that's all they know, because that's their projection. If they were quiet, they would be angry. So... um I think something, again, I'm discovering is maybe just write it down. <laughs> because I, if you have a conversation and you're not on the same, if you're not playing chess and one person's playing checkers and one player's, person's playing chess, it's, it's not going to equate. Nothing's going to be, there's going to be no resolution, no solving of any issues. or and um, But writing it down, so all I've figured out to write down is just to let you know where I'm coming from. Here's what I'm committed to. Um, Be still. Um, Breathe. I love you. I I really can't even figure out any more to say because anything else will be misconstrued or misinterpreted or they'll create, you know, this is the world. This is what happens. They'll create something. So I don't want to give them anything to create any miscommunication from. So this is the little answer I'm finding, but I haven't finished um, discovering what I'm supposed to do with scenarios where there is a miscommunication or there's family or, um, and, and, you know, I'm I'm on a path. And, and again, I don't know if anybody else is discovering this. Probably, probably not, maybe not, who knows. But I'm finding that just putting things in words on paper, there's no miscommunication. And just sending it off. Just let it be. Because I, I believe my truth is in every single line, and I'm not saying anything in any other way. There's no confusion from me. And then just let it go. And they're going to do it with it what they will. That's um, a challenge I've been dealing with, and it's um, something I'm discovering for the first time to just not respond, not react. And the best way to respond is in writing, if anything, because they're still going to do whatever they're going to do. But at least I don't have to be in a back and forth, which is not who I am. I don't want to do that. It's very debilitating and very draws negative, you know, it's just negative energy. 
So that I just wanted to share that. And that's also a question, is that a good way um, in general, or uh, you know, is that um, something that maybe others have found um, t- to be a solution in this communication and being still and anyways thank you okay I think that we can say too much just like we can say too little because then you forget about where they started from you know I believe that if we're listening with our hearts, we can feel intent. You know, it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to be said. We we can we can sense it with something other than our our sense gates. But we've literally shut all of that down. We don't use it anymore. It's it's like the gallbladder in the reptilian brain. We don't, um, we've forgotten how to communicate on a higher level, on an ultimate level. But what we do know is that we can, if we are still, and we've shut up, you know, not not just outwardly, but inwardly also, that we have a better opportunity to really hear what the other person is saying, not what they're saying, but what they're really saying here. But we've got to trust that. You know, like I said, we, we haven't used it for so long that we've uh, become the great communicators we use a lot of words. And even when we write things down, the person who reads it, I mean, if, if writing things down were the solution, or is the solution, then all of these emails that have been sent, <laughs> 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 that are just caught raising havoc in families and communities and everything, would be better understood. But anyway. I thank your willingness to think about what we talked about today. And that's all this is about. This is about thinking. To see whether this is something that might be a useful tool for you, that might work for you. So, give us some thought. Did you? No? Okay. Okay. All right, so let's let's spend our last uh, ten minutes being aware of the feeling that is made by this thing that we call breath. Be aware of the feeling that is made by this thing that we call breath. Because I have no doubt that everyone in the room is going to strive with pure intention 
and be the best sentient being that they can be. There's something, there's a gift that comes with that. And I'm surprised that no one mentioned it when we talked about communication and the ability to hear others. It's called wrapping mind. So, other people won't have to speak to you audibly. You will be able to literally get inside their head and see what's on their mind. May all beings be liberated from suffering. May we be well. May we be happy. May we be peaceful. Thank you so much for everything that you do. Have a great day. Continue to have a great day. And smile at a stranger. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.